Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. Yeah, so I'd say I've probably always been pro-choice and uh, very supportive of my friends who needed abortions in the past, but I never thought about what I would do if I needed an abortion. Like, I do not want to be looked as, like, a second person within my own body. I don't want a baby to be put in front of me. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. My name is Jessica Hankin. And I'm Laura Wexler. And this week, we conclude our three-part series, Abortion is Autonomy, with two stories about two people's fight to make their own reproductive decisions. This first story is from Ashley, who, um, again, if you listened to our uh, podcast last um, episode, you would hear um, another woman who very much wanted to have a baby and um, and what she had to do when it just it was not going to be safe for her to do so uh, for her physical well-being. In Ashley's case, she and her husband very much want the baby and um, and the pregnancies, and there are um, complications. And it's a it's a hard story. We know this. Um, it's a complicated story, but it's an important story when we're talking about the ability for women to make their own decisions. So take a listen. Yeah, so I'd say I've probably always been pro-choice and uh, very supportive of my friends who needed abortions in the past, but I never thought about what I would do if I needed an abortion. So me and my husband have been together since 2008, I believe. And, you know, we were working on things. We were trying to go to school, you know, go to therapy, unpack some stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just, like, work on ourselves and get a house so that we could, like, start a family. And in 2017, we were finally ready. Everything was good. Um, And we didn't have to wait long because we were pregnant. So we told our families and uh, immediately started appointments. And anybody that's, you know, excited to be pregnant, like, knows that, like, the appointments, there's so many, like, check, like, check marks. Like, oh, if I pass this test, if I get to this many weeks, like, the risk is reduced by this amount. Or maybe that's just me being weird with spreadsheets. Um, (laughs) So, you know, we made it pretty far in, like, uh, I would say, like, around 19 weeks. We were like, yeah, let's go to one of those, like, gender reveal places or like where you can take the picture in the cute picture frame, and let's bring our parents. And so we sat there. We got an ultrasound, and the tech was having, like, a really hard time finding the baby, which was weird because, obviously, I was pregnant. Like, I had a bump, everything. Um and, you know, we took our picture, we had the due date, we had his name, Vitale, Vito for short. And then we go to the anatomy scan. And we go there, we're excited, we're like, oh, okay, as soon as we get home, we're sending the invite for the baby shower. Like, this is great. <laughs> and uh, the first nurse came in, did her ultrasound, and then our, our another doctor came in, did an ultrasound. And I kind of, like, noticed, like, y'all are being real quiet. (laughs) And when they turned on the lights, 
They didn't say anything, and then they said the prognosis is poor. And I was like, what does that mean exactly? Um, And we found out that the baby had a brain tumor, was missing vital organs, um, like no, no chance of survival. Like I was like negotiating, like pleading. Um, and literally like I was the baby's life support. There's no amniotic fluid. And so they said, your options are to terminate or to carry to term. And me just being like a logical person, I'm like, okay, if there's no amniotic fluid and I have organs, everything that I'm doing is like crushing the baby. So, you know, like people don't really talk about abortion in context of having like mama's intuition. Um, But I knew that that was cruel to carry that pregnancy to term. I knew it wasn't good for my mental health. Um, and just was not the most compassionate thing and the, mo- and the best gift that I could give that baby was to terminate. And I knew because of what mental space that I was in that I needed to do a DNA. Like I was in no place to go through like labor and delivery or like, and because I was like 22 weeks, like that was the only type of procedure that was, you know, safe to do and everything. So I, I had a DNA. And I can tell you from the experience that my doctors and the nurses were loving. They took care of us in ways that, like, I'm forever grateful. They they gave us footprints of the baby. They helped us coordinate, like, cremation services. They helped me, like, find therapy. Um, And, you know, like, nobody had any explanation. They just said... Sometimes these things happen. So, you know, just going through our abortion and not being forced to carry the term, like, gave us an opportunity to grieve. And about nine months later, we were finally ready to try again. And, you know, I wasn't excited because I'm like, okay, we don't have any answers. So I was, like, cautiously optimistic. I was still going through all the things in my head about, like, oh, if I make it to this point, if I make it to this point. And... Same thing happened again. This baby was worse. But this time, I was okay with going through, like, being induced and terminating and going through labor and delivery. And I'm just grateful that I had the opportunity to choose the right procedure at the right time for me. (laughs) And so we ended up finding out that we both carry... (laughs) like a rare disease. Like my husband was grew up in Baltimore. I grew up in Southern Arizona and somehow we found each other and both carry a disease, a gene for a disease that there's only 250 known cases called Fraser syndrome. But through that, we were able to find an entire community of people who also carry like deadly genetic diseases And all of them, I would say almost all of them without, you know, the ones that don't know that they have a family history find out because they had to have an abortion because abortion was on the table. And, you know, I do have a two-year-old now, thankfully, through IVF. And that wouldn't have not, that would not have been possible without the, the tissue samples and all the things that happened through my abortion previously. 
and I know this is about abortion, but I also want to say the same folks are hypocrites because they're also coming after IVF. You know, they think they're, we're out here having designer babies. It's like, no, <laughs> it's not a thing. Um, and it's just, you know, like it's frustrating that we don't, people don't know a lot of these types of stories like mine. Um, and so it's so important for us to keep this, like keep access to all types of abortions in place. And, and the reasons are nobody's business. Yeah, I'm just grateful that I was able to, when I was saying goodbye to my sons, I was able to do it on my terms. Thank you. So I, she says it's in her story, um, but she now has um, a child who's healthy and um and she's so dedicated to that child, um, but she's also so dedicated to reproductive rights now because of her experience and um, and the need for her to get the safe care that she got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be back in a moment with another story. Support for WYPR's podcasts comes from Catholic Charities. Celebrating its centennial in 2023, Catholic Charities is the largest private provider of social services in Maryland. Learn more about this movement to change lives at cc-md.org. So this next story is by a young person named Rachel, and it's truly a story about the struggle to make her own decisions about what to do with her body and with her reproductive potential. Please take a listen. For as long as I can remember, I know that I just never, ever had a dream for myself to have a family or to have kids of my own, at least. Um, And I've definitely kept that sentiment throughout my whole life. Um, Moving forward, when I was in middle school, um, I remember, like, noticing a lot of things with my family where a lot of people had various reproductive health issues, um, most notably my mom. Um, When I was in the seventh or eighth grade, she had several kinds of reproductive cancers, uh, from ovarian to cervical, um, several more I can't even remember. Um, but because of that, she had to have a hysterectomy, and I'm forever grateful that that was all that needed to be done to help her at that time. But I definitely know that that moment stuck with me, and seeing my other family members struggle in that way. Um, and moving forward into high school, I started to struggle, Um, I had excruciating pain every single month, um, and I was diagnosed with endometriosis. And I'm one of the lucky few that actually get a diagnosis, since people actually listen to my concerns. Um, And I know for sure that both of those instances had an effect on how I view my reproductive body and how I want to go forward. And I just know that having a child from my body is just not something that I want. Maybe one day I'll want to adopt, but I know it just will not be for me. And, you know, um, moving back, like, during the pandemic, I moved back home with my mom in Chicago. And I think during that time, it just gave me, there was, of course, a lot of political things happening, and I've always been a very politically active person. And it just gave me the time to reflect further and just kind of think about what I truly wanted for myself and what I want for my future. 
and trying to think of like more permanent solutions um, because I know I do not want a kid. I had an IUD at the time, um, and absolutely no shame if I did get pregnant, I would have an abortion. But I had such a bad feeling about the political future of the states that like I just had a terrible feeling that something like this would happen, that Roe would be overturned, that maybe I would be in a state or a place where I could not get reproductive care that I needed. So I just talked to my mom, and again, I'm forever grateful that she's here and that she's supportive of me in every decision I make. But I was like, I think I want to get my tubes tied. And of course, I was so young. I still am very young, but I was 19 at the time. Um, in the state of Illinois, you have to be 20 to get an elective um, sterilization. And I went to like my yearly checkup with a gynecologist, and I was like, hey, you know, um, I want to look at my options. Um, of course, everybody was very dismissive. They didn't even try to talk me out of it. They just kind of ignored my concerns. Were like, yeah, she won't get anywhere with this. Um, but the doctor that I did speak to gave me the information that, hey, um, you have a history of reproductive cancers in your family. You should not get your tubes tied. You should get them fully removed. That'll be a lot safer for you. Um, it'll greatly reduce my risk. So I was like, okay, that is a lovely place to start. Um, <laughs> But it was actually good. It gave me a place to start my research. Um, I knew I had to be strategic with how I moved forward with this if I wanted to get anywhere. And so I did my research. Um, I found out that the surgery is called a salpingectomy. Um, I don't even know how to spell it, but um, it's a laparoscopic surgery, which means that it's minimally invasive, which is also good for me. Um, it would give them an opportunity to actually see how bad my endometriosis is if they could actually perform it on me. And... Um, I kind of took as much research as I could and I ran with it. Um, I didn't really know who to ask next, though. And my mom, um, once again, here to help me, um, suggested that I reached out to the surgeon that did her hysterectomy. Um, so I called her office, and honestly, like this was the place that I faced the most backlash. I talked to the woman on the phone, and she was just not willing to let me speak to her, like not willing to let me even have a consultation um, to even speak to the surgeon, to even learn any information, not even try to schedule a surgery or anything, just a consultation. And finally, after way too long on the phone, I did get that appointment. Um, she was probably just sick of talking to me. Um, but I did get that appointment, and I'm forever grateful that I met a surgeon that would actually listen to me. I think that she saw how deeply invested I was into getting this care for myself. Um, and she actually listened, and I'm still shocked that I made it to that point where she would listen to me and say, like, yeah, okay, you, we can get this started for you. Um, so at that point, I was 20, so it was legal, <laughs> technically, and um, this was last summer, and we started the consent form process, which took six months, and uh, yeah, to get an elective... Um, sterilization, the whole consent process is six months to make sure you're not being coerced, to make sure that this is truly what you want, and I know that this is what I want. Um, and so by that time, I, it was one of the biggest reliefs for me to get that like appointment scheduled in December. This was this past December. Um, and we got it scheduled as the day before Christmas, but I did not care. <laughs> I was ready for the surgery. I, I just wanted to put myself in a place where I could protect myself 
as like other people said, um, like I do not want to be looked as like a second person within my own body. I don't want a baby to be put in front of me. And I know with endometriosis that would be quite frankly dangerous for me to have a child from my body. So I knew I was making the right decision for myself. And I remember I was at the I was getting ready. I was at the hospital. I was ready for that surgery and I wasn't worried about the surgery. I wasn't ready for anything. I was still just afraid of an IV. Um, and that was the scariest thing for me but everything else was just the biggest biggest relief and I'm just incredibly grateful to have people have listened to me and I hope that there's other doctors that will put in the care and attention to listen to their patients and listen to what they want so they can keep their autonomy thank you guys I'm so struck in this story about how many doors were closed in her face and how much grit she had to keep going and how much confidence or anger or desire it takes as a young person to come up against medical personnel with all of their white-coated authority and just um, I, I just I love her determination. I love her follow through. I love everything she she did. Wouldn't even matter what it was about. Just just that she was able to decide what she wanted and go for it and make it happen is just a really inspirational story. Thank you so much for listening to our series, Abortion is Autonomy. We offer it in the same spirit that we offer all of the Stoop stories, which is providing a place for people to share their personal experience and for others to become familiar with it and imagine what it's like to be in their position. You can listen to many, many stories and episodes at stoopstorytelling.com. Also find out about upcoming Stoop events this spring. We want to thank Maureen Harvey, our producer, and to y'all for listening. We'll be back soon.